So we've been cruising through, we're going to cruise through today, anyways, chapter uh, 5, picking up in verse 12, going all the way through the end. Spent uh, a lot of time in Acts chapter 4. Um, but, but this word this morning is, is very encouraging um, and convicting and a good reminder that, that we can trust God and His plan and that nothing's going to stop His plan. Nothing's going to stop the gospel. And last week, uh, we went through Acts 4, 32 through chapter 5. Verse 11, I'd encourage you to go back and listen if you missed last week. But that was a, that was a conflict from inside the church. We got a, a good overview of the health of the, the church, the early church. And then we run into a problem, which is good for us because we're sitting here reading an Acts and we're like, what's wrong with us, right? Like everything seems to be wrong with us. Maybe uh, the early church just was perfect. And we saw that the gospel unites, right? That's what's so beautiful about the picture when people with different interests and di- different backgrounds and diff- from different ethnicities and different groups of people uh, come together because of the gospel that saves. Um, then we saw in chapter 5, uh, two people who, who brought their sin into the church and how it divided and uh, and the problem that happens when sin comes into our church family, how our sin affects those around us, even when they don't know that we're in sin, don't know that we've sinned against them, it affects us, right? And here we have them kind of getting back to, to what they were doing, these signs and these wonders, and then they face opposition from the outside again. I want to go ahead and state our, our main point for us this morning, and, and I want us to be thinking about it as we read through chapter 5, because I'm going to read all 30-some-odd verses uh, for us straight through. Um, you guys know how we do here, but the, the main point uh, to be reflecting on through is that nothing can stop the gospel. Nothing can stop the gospel. Amen, church? All right, with that being said, let's turn to God's word, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the synod of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain and with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are, uh, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. It's God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning seeking to, to be sanctified, seeking to be molded into your likeness by the truth of your word. As we gather here together, we pray that you would just move amongst us, God, that you would encourage us and convict us and, and lead us together in this mission that you've called us to. God, we thank you for our church family and, and as we um, experience these spiritual growing pains. Lord, I pray that, that we would be there for one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, um, but God, ultimately seeking your glory in everything that we do. Lord, I pray that this would be, yet again, a, a convicting and encouraging passage, seeing our brothers and sisters who went before us speaking boldly. And God, that we would grasp this understanding that nothing can stop the gospel. Nothing can stop your word. Nothing can stop your good news. Nothing can stop your plan. Help us to lean into that and to better understand it through your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, church. Amen. Amen. So nothing can stop the gospel. This is something that should be of an encouragement to us. Even last year, one of the most recent things, uh, I, I believe uh, the enemy has really taken this, this pandemic and tried to divide us, has tried to keep us from gathering. And guess what? It didn't stop the gospel. The gospel went forth, technology was, was used where it needed to be, and the church came back uh, stronger than ever. Uh, true saints, anyways, were gathered, right? Amen, church? Amen. We can no longer seek to, to, to be dispersed, uh, but we gather together to go back out on mission. So nothing can stop the gospel, and as we progress through this text, we're going to see that, that literally nothing and, and no one can stop the gospel, and the points to, to, to lead us home with this is going to be uh, nothing can stop the gospel, no prison, no person, because the gospel is of God. No person, or no prison, no person, because the gospel is of God. No prison, point number one. So we come out here 
And the apostles are back to, to doing many signs and many wonders uh, in verses 12 through 16. Uh, we see they're, they're doing miraculous things. It says by the hands of the apostles, they're, they're healing the sick, they're casting out demons, those unclean spirits, right? They're doing many things. And as I read this, the, the, the people are bringing their sick family members, sick people out to the streets. And how many of you all have ever seen Monty Python, uh, the Holy Grail? You can admit that. You're not... I'm raising my hand first. There's no church discipline except for those who don't raise their hand. Let me see those hands again so we can get a count. Okay, Pastor, we've we, we got to take care of this. So Monty Python, one, we should just all go home and, and watch it. I, I think I need to like recount. Maybe I'm not, I'm not drawing anybody into anything bad, right? No. Anyway, there's this scene where it's the Black Plague's going on, and there's this guy, and my dad was watching this when I was a kid, and I, I distinctly remember it and have since rewatched it, but... Uh, he's going with like a, a Wilboro, right? And he's got it. And bring out your dead. Bring out your dead. And he's like calling for everybody and they're just bringing out their dead and throwing the bodies on. And I like remember seeing that and I'm like, what in the world? But every time I come to this passage, it doesn't fail that my dad's Monty Python experience like just seems to get into my head of, of the dead being brought out. But particularly here, they're the sick. And the Lord is using the apostles to heal them so that His name would be exalted, that He would be glorified, and people would see that the Gospel is continuing forward. And that's what we should understand out of, out of these signs and these wonders and all the things that, that were going on. These sick people, and even the people bringing the sick uh, to, to Peter, right, that even His shadow might fall on some of them. Right? They, they had faith in the Lord, understanding too that we have an expiration date here on earth and our hope is not set here to live forever to be immortal here but to understand that jesus if we are in jesus and jesus is in us then we will be raised on the last day we have eternal life because of the son and we don't have to look to, to living here forever finding some kind of potion to keep us just getting old and gray as far as we can go but they do all of these signs and all of these wonders and of course, what happens? The outside opposes the gospel, though they can't stop it. So after all these amazing things, things that should have been good, it says in verse 17, the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with what, church? Jealousy. Filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Jealousy. The biggest issue, what's going on here and what was happening even in Jesus' life, just just before this, right? We're not talking years, we're talking months. Just before this, the same thing was going on is that as Jesus was doing this, He was gaining a following. He was, he was doing attractive ministry in the sense that He was telling people the truth, right? That should be attractive enough. We don't need all this fancy show and glamour. The Gospel is good and it saves and that should be enough. But what followed from that was Jesus is getting all the attention. we got to get rid of this guy. He's, he's breaking up our power. The, the Sadducees, right? I'd call them the, the religious lost for many reasons. But they had power. They had authority. And they didn't want that to be challenged or lost. But the opposite of a true godly leader is we would take that challenge and we'd say, hey, this is how the Bible says to lead and we're going to continue to lead this way. And if it's truly of God, which we'll get to later, it's going to continue forward. But they didn't want their authority to be challenged. Even though they were heretics and to say the least, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They, they didn't even believe in angels. Right? We, we go back, we, we get a lot of encounters with angels in the Old Testament, right? 
Like angels come down and they, they're in fear, right? They tremble. It's, it's wild. Like the reaction when uh, you encounter an angel a lot of times. And they didn't believe it. Heretics. Not believing God's Word. And then as God's Word is going forth in deed, they become jealous because their authority and their position of power is now being challenged. So they arrest them and they put them in the, uh, into the public prison. But it says, but during the night, a what, church? An angel of the Lord. The irony here. What they don't believe in is what God is using to open up the prison doors so that they can escape. Not God didn't just bust the you know, prison doors open, didn't just let them out. He uses what they don't even believe in to let the apostles out. I just I love the irony here that, that the angel of the Lord comes and doesn't just let them out like, all right, you guys are good. Go about your hey, you paid your deed. Now you get to live the rest of your life. Go do whatever you want. Build up your kingdom, boys. No, the angel lets them out and says, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. They're given a command to go back and do what they were just arrested for. Now, if you all can imagine being the ones being let out, it's like, oh, sweet, we're getting out of jail, right? Like, I've been waiting for this one, Lord. Like, we've been doing all this work, and here we are. We're, we're going to get out. And the angel's like, all right, it's open, but you need to go back and do what you were just doing. You need to go back to the temple. You need to publicly declare the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and point people to the author of life, the source of life, so that they might be saved. The whole point of sharing the Word is not to invite them into our our hangout or our clique or our building. It's to invite them to the Lord. We invite them to Christ and pray that they get plugged into the church. But they're given a direct command these walls, it's open, right? The gate's open. You're out. But go and stand, not just in public, but go to the temple and tell people about the words of this life. And when they heard this, what did they do? They entered the temple at daybreak. As soon as day hits, right? Bright and early. And they began to teach. So they're teaching the, the death, burial, and resurrection. And I hope... In my little mind, right, I love to think that they went on to tell about the angel that let them out just so it would be that little salt in the wound for the Sadducees. Hey, by the way, an angel just let us out. You want to know why? Because nothing can stop the gospel. No prison, no person, because it's all of God. Ah, it's so good. And they go on and they teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, the council... Right? They bring the senate of the people of Israel. They're bringing all the high ups, the authority, right? And they sent to the prison. They have them brought. But the officers came and didn't find them in the prison. So they returned and reported exactly what had been reported about Jesus. The tomb couldn't hold him. They found the, the um, stone rolled away. They go back and report Jesus' body is not in there, man. So then they suppress this truth. Let's, let's tell people that his friends got him and don't let anybody hear a word of this. Church, there's nothing that can stop the Gospel. No grave, no prison, and definitely no person. Point number two. No person. They, they find the prison was, was locked. The guards were standing at the door. 
They opened it, found no one inside. They're perplexed. They're blown away. They've just seen this amazing, what they would think is a trick. I don't know if you all are like into magic. I'm not totally, but Randy Moss makes it that much better. And there's this video of Randy Moss. He's sitting there, and this guy's telling him, pick a card, any card. And he's like, all right. And he picks the card, and he's like, all right, I'll take that back. He's like, now cut open that football that's been sitting in front of you. And the card was in there, and Randy Moss's reaction is like, oh. and I just see, like every time, it's just one of those things. I get these, these images and these thoughts in my head. I'm like, that, that's a connection. These, these Sadducees had to have been like Randy Moss, just like blown away. And if you just see, it's like a kid like, they're not in there. They're gone. The prison couldn't hold them. The gospel's continuing forward. What are they going to do? They're greatly perplexed. Someone comes and they say, look, they're back at it. They're not hiding away. They're not hanging out in a bunker in Greenbrier, West Virginia, trying to get away from all the madness. They're back in the thick of it. Back right where it all began. Unafraid and unashamed of the gospel, knowing that this could good and well get them killed. They didn't care because the gospel cannot be stopped. Someone came and told them, look, there they are. The ones you put in prison, they're standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. We go back to Acts chapter 2. It's really interesting what you read there. And it, it's up for a lot of debate about like what kind of influence we have over the society, um, what kind of um, uh, influence we, we just have over our people and our culture and our community, really, altogether. But it says that they had, in Acts chapter 2, they had favor among all the people. It doesn't make a distinction that it was like just within the church. And, and I would lean on the side that it's not just within the church. Because I think when the church goes out and we see it in Scripture, we see it even here in our, our town, is that the, those who oppose God most are blessed by God the most as well. Because the church is going out not just serving one another, but we're serving our community. We're serving our towns. We're sacrificially loving them while speaking the truth. Right? We're, we're bold and we don't back down. We don't waver in our faith. We don't waver in our beliefs. We don't give away to, to false doctrine, but seek to provide sound doctrine. And the world is blessed because of the work of the church. And they, they have gotten this favor among the people to the point where, look at what's happening. They didn't take them by force because they might have been stoned themselves. Not ridiculed, not shamed, but killed. The Sadducees were afraid for their life for arresting these believers. And I would ask, what kind of influence do we have over our community? Do we have it to the point where if New Hill Church was uprooted and taken somewhere else, God literally just called all of us to go somewhere, right? And New Hill's just gone. We're dispersed. We all went somewhere together. Hypothetically, just think about it. We're in Hawaii, if that helps you uh, kind of piece this together. Where would we move? Hawaii. Okay, great. Perfect. So we're there. Would Medina have a hole in it? Because the gospel has been uprooted and taken out. Do we have that kind of effect on the community and our neighbors around where if we were uprooted, they would fill the absence of the family of New Hill Church? Because it was so much so that the, those in this town and this community were ready to stone the officers had it gone sideways. They were afraid of that. And they seek to, to get them in and then they're going to puff their chest, right? Look at this. 
So they get them all together in verse 27. When they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. This goes back. They've been told this over and over, even Peter and John when they were arrested earlier. We strictly charged you not to teach in the name of Jesus, right? Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now I want to pause there on that, that statement. So they're filling Jerusalem with the gospel. Quick little question to think about and meditate on. Are we filling Medina with the gospel? I'll take that home with you. Are we filling Medina with the gospel? Now, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They continually point to the fact that these men crucified Jesus. They killed him. Now, we know that this was God's sovereign plan from the beginning, before the foundation of the world, that Jesus was going to come as our Messiah to go and to die on the cross for his people to pay the price so that we could have life. Amen? Amen. So they're sharing this. But they brought the blood on themselves. Peter's just relaying what they wanted all along. Go back to right before Jesus was crucified. What do they say? Take Him and let His blood be on us and on the generations to come. But now they cower. Now they see that the Gospel is is continuing on, that Jesus is gone, that His Holy Spirit has come now lives inside of all believers. And it's not just one man they have to worry about. It's the church that is growing. And by what it said, it, it's growing more than ever. Back in verse 14, multitudes of both men and women. They're already at 8,000. And it says it's growing now more than ever. So it's not just one man. To the point where they're afraid that they're going to get stoned because it's not just one man they have to take care of. It's the church. And they're worried and they're concerned. But they asked for this. Literally, you can go back in Scripture and you see that they say, let His blood be on us and our generations to come. All of our children. That could preach a whole other message. A whole series about this kind of judgment that they had brought on themselves. Peter is just relaying the message and exactly what they wanted. They asked for this. But how do, how do Peter and the apostles respond to this? We told you not to teach about Jesus. We're the authority around here. We're the officials around here. Do this again and you're going to be locked up. You might even be killed. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Hmm. Church, our allegiance is to God. We are to care for one another. We should serve one another, our community and and our countries and whatever it is. But if it goes against the Word of God, then our side must always side here. Always. It's not even a question. Again, it might get you thrown in jail. It might get you beaten. We're approaching days where where these are start. It's starting to come from the back of our mind, right? Where it's always been back there. Like, yeah, one day it's going to happen, but not in my lifetime. To like slowly creeping up, and we feel like our our parents and grandparents before us, where it's like they went through World War II, and and they felt like that might have been the end, and, and now it's crept to the front of our head, where we're like, we might have to face these things in our life. We might experience the tribulation. We may be thrown in jail and be persecuted. And it's coming to a time where it won't be any more separation of church from any state or any church from any state. And people are going to to focus in on the church. Scriptures say that. We will be persecuted. Indeed, we are the more vocal we are about our faith. But we're given a strong and stern word there. We must obey God rather than 
men. And then he goes on to continue to point them to the fact that they missed the mark with Jesus, our Messiah. He says, the God of our fathers, talking about Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, the God of our ancestors, right? Who pointed us to the coming of the Messiah. Our God raised Jesus from the dead. Pointing them to the resurrection, which they don't believe. Like, take that. Not only that, but you don't even believe in the God of your ancestors because you're denying the Messiah whom you killed. Again, he puts that back on them. Whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Scripture fulfilled. Verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Scripture fulfilled. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those whom obey him. Scripture fulfilled. That we, the church, have the Spirit of God living inside of us at all times, empowering us and gifting us for the work of ministry. And pastor's job is to equip, but the Holy Spirit is the one giving you the words to say as you ask for the words to say, when you ask and pray for boldness and direction and guidance as we go. And we have to begin to understand this, that, that we could be locked up. That's not going to stop the gospel. We could be persecuted by a person or a people group. but It's not going to stop the gospel. We could be negligent to the mission we've been called to, personally disobeying that mission, guess what? The gospel is going to continue on. But don't we want to be a part of that? And to encourage you to, to be a part of it, we need to understand that, that persecution will come, but our Savior has given us hope. Our Savior has given us hope that, that we can long for the day when He returns. We can long for the day when we're taken out of this world. So much where Paul, he, he, he wrestled with that. To live as Christ, to die as gain. If he left this world, he was with Jesus. So, by all means, take me. But he knew that he had a mission here. The Gospel will go forth with or without us, but we, here at New Hill Church, are a people on mission. Let us hold each other accountable to that. No, we don't do it perfectly, but you better believe we walk out of here every day thinking that. Now, what we do with it through the week is on us, but the Gospel cannot be stopped. Now look, I'm going to come back here to, to verses 33 and on. But I'm going to go back all the way down to verse 41, if you're following with me. They're, they're put before the council, and it becomes a big deal. And Verse 41. They left the presence of the council after being beaten. They were beaten. I should go back to verse 40. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go, right? Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They thought how precious our suffering is that we were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. That the world doesn't hate us because we have brown hair. The world doesn't hate us because we have a certain skin color or tone. The world doesn't hate us because we speak a different dialect. If you're a believer, the affliction and the persecution you face, hopefully, when sin is removed, it's because they hate Jesus who has given His Spirit to live inside of you. The Holy God is now dwelling in you and leading you to go and to proclaim His glory to the nations. 
and the world doesn't like that. But guess what? The gospel won't stop. And in your suffering, you were connected and you were linked to Jesus. That is so tough to, to understand, but we're given encouragement by Peter. It, it, it's so fun, church, as we continue to, to cross-reference over to Peter and his epistles and just seeing how Peter was, was leading the early church. And then what he writes here in 1 Peter 5.10. It says, And after you have suffered, so not if you suffer, so after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, and establish you. Church, we may, be, we may never be beaten right, for our faith. May, maybe not. Right? We, let's set the stage. There's the possibility that we're never beaten and we're truly faithful to the message. Maybe people just were verbally um, mean to us. Right? Maybe we'll be locked up. Maybe we will be killed, and I'd say that's very likely if we're here for the tribulation. But what Peter reminds us is that after you've suffered, God will restore God has been restoring all things since the very beginning at the fall. That the, His plan that He had before the foundation of the world was set in motion at the fall that they were sent out with a sacrifice and that everything began. The wheels were turning. Even before then. But that not all things that are broken will, be remain, will remain broken, but they will be restored by the Holy Triune God. And we can be assured that when we go out and we share the gospel, that nothing's going to stop it because the gospel is of God. That's the difference. That's the haymaker. The gospel isn't our own, it's of God. Point number three nothing can stop the gospel, no prison, no person, because the gospel is of what, church? God. Look at Egypt, God's people held in captivity 400 years. Couldn't hold them down any longer. It was God's plan. It was God's will. They came out. Babylonian captivity. Held out, held out. They were taken out of their land. That was, that was part of their judgment. But nothing could stop it. Again and again, we see through the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, that nothing is stopping the gospel. We'll see Stephen's uh, become a martyr. Stephen becomes the first martyr that we have recorded here in Acts did not stop the gospel. Actually, it threw gas on the fire that was already rolling. We see time and time again. We see even, even with the land, and it doesn't matter your, your, your view on end times and the promises, Israel wasn't even a nation. For how long? Thou, over a thousand years? And out of nowhere, there they are. There's nothing that can stop God's plan. Nothing. Because the gospel is of God. Let's look at this. Verse 33. Gamaliel, and, and, and verse 34, I'm going to call him G-Man. I, I practice that, but I just know how it goes. Church, we read through uh, Nehemiah. I said all those words to the best of my ability. He's G-Man for the rest of this service. Um, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them, right? So they get them inside, and they're like, all right, now we're, we're going to beat them, right? But a Pharisee and the council named G-Man, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So this 
uh, this man held in, in, in high regard, right? They thought a lot of this man. He, he steps up to speak some wisdom to them because he knows that they're about to do something that's going to just throw more gas onto the church's already steaming hot fire. And G-Man tells them, he says, Men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up. In the days of the census, he drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. These men were raised up, and as soon as they were gone, it dispersed. Church, we see that within our own brothers and sisters today. We see these megachurches explode. They get big, but then they implode. When the pastor's sin is revealed and it comes out, you can read again and again. Just type in, uh, pastor of church has falling out. Story after story. But the disheartening thing is, church, not the pastor's sin, which we know all people have sin. We know, unfortunately, these things will creep into the church, and that's why we try to have accountability processes in place. But what happens is everything withers away. So the true question is, if Pastor Gary, Pastor Simon, and myself were taken out, right? Something happened to us, whatever it might be, would New Hill Church go on? Would you all continue to gather? Because let me tell you something, if this thing is of God, it should continue. And I think it is. I believe it is in all my heart by hearing your voices lift up the name of Jesus and lift up a joyful noise even when singing as we gather around the Word. I am assured that is true. We got our problems. But this thing will continue as it should. This thing will go on as it should. And he tells them. So in the present case, so he connects the dots, he links it to what's going on. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. They go on to, to beat them, right? Like one little smack like on the way out the door. Like, oh, if I can't kill you, I'm just going to... Mm, right? One little hit. And they do that. The church hasn't stopped. G-Man gave him this, this prophecy. Hey, if this is a man, it'll end. Church, it's been 2,000 years. Pandemics and all, nothing's stopping God's gospel. Nothing's stopping the good news. It's only throwing gas on it to those who believe it. Amen? Hebrews 1.3 says this. We, we talk about this. We go to this for Jesus and talking about Jesus. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Now listen to this part. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Now we understand that we have weaknesses. We've got our own problems, right? We can't hold anything up ourselves. But we read this about God sustaining everything, upholding the universe by the word of His power. Not the strength in His arms, not all the CrossFit work He's been doing, by the word of His power, which His word spoke everything into existence, and it's his, the word of His power that's upholding and sustaining all things also. Church, we, I, we were leaving the summer chill last night, and again, I, I checked in the first service. She's not in here. Maylee 
our four-year-old, has been giving us a lot of lip lately. And I'm like trying to figure out, I'm like, and we're walking away and I know all the churches behind me and I know I'm not like a figure where it's like everybody's like looking at me. Like I didn't feel like that, like, oh, all eyes on me as always. But I did feel like this, like, everybody's here and my kid's giving me lip. I'm not going to like ask like what would Pastor Gary do, but like not going to ask what Pastor Simon would do. But like, man, like, I don't know what to do. What am I going to, like, how am I going to sustain this situation? Like, you know, we, we, sometimes we're Baptists, right? We believe spankings are okay. That, that happens, right? Some of you will spank your kid. That's not like a, that's, that's why I didn't ask Pastor Gary, what, you know, like, what should I, I'm kidding. We believe it's okay. There's times for that. There's times where we take things away from our kids, right? They've made up an idol and we know if we take it away, it'll straighten them up a little bit. There's times where we have talkings with our kids. Um, we, we do all kinds of different things to try and sustain a situation or, or fix a situation, right? And I'm reminded in that moment, after the whipping, that, that God is, is better, God is stronger, and God is more in control. So when we go out to the world and the world starts to press in on the truth of the Gospel and reject it and reject us and persecute us, we can remember that it's not about our strength, it's about the God who upholds all things by the word of His power. Now I want to end here and, and just for this to be our prayer this morning. Isaiah 12.2 Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song and He has become my salvation. The Lord is indeed our salvation, church, if indeed we know the Gospel and believe it and esteem Him as Lord over our life. Repent and believe. And if you know the gospel and you've been saved by it, nothing's stopping the message that you proclaim. You may never see the fruit of it. You may be hated because of it. Nothing's going to stop it. And that's the beauty. Because it's about exalting the name of Jesus, not the name of Michael, not the name of New Hill Church. It's about Jesus. And we're reminded of that through this passage. And then they walk away after being beaten rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And then they went on day by day in the temple and house to house and small groups through summer chills, teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Church, we've got a message to go proclaim and it has nothing to do with our power. So go proclaim it. Go proclaim the goodness of God to the world before it is too late. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. I pray that we would continue to, to draw near to You through it. God, I pray that we would seek understanding through Your Word. God, that Your Spirit would direct us and guide us and, and teach us, convict us and, and show us and encourage us in all things. God, I pray through all of that that You're receiving the glory. God, that in our spiritual growth that You receive the glory. God, in our numerical growth as a church family, you receive the glory. God, and I pray above all that we are faithful to the message that saved us and that calls us to go, go, go. Lord, I pray that, that we would be given the mindset of the apostles in the sense that 
that when we face persecution, maybe one day when we're beaten, we're hit, we're slapped around, we would count it a joy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. Wow, what a message to the world. Knowing that that links us to our Savior who suffered in our place. Man, remind us of that, God. Show us that this week as we seek You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.